Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And the words we use or the world we're in is a, is a line drawing. Now, what words we use are the ones that are going to add shadowing or color or depth. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. In this episode, we speak to Coach Reed Maltby, author of Spartan Mindset, Mastering the Language of Excellence. Focusing on harnessing the use of language, we're going to cut to the root on why words matter when it comes to optimal performance. Reed, are you ready for the knife? Cut away. I'm going to cut by asking you, how can one word make a difference? Oh, one word can have a massive impact on our lives. For instance, if I if I tell some, if somebody says to me, I ask them, hey, did you read my book? And they say, yeah, I liked it versus, oh, I loved it. That word makes a big difference. The word loved really makes my week. Liked is great, but love makes my my week. Or if they switch that word and say, I hated it. What's that do to me? What 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 impact does that have on me as a person hearing that somebody hated my book versus love? So words words have a lot of power singularly. So we met, meet lots of people who will overuse those some words. They'll just say, I love the book, Reed. Uh, how can that make a difference? Well, I think words overused can be disingenuine. Uh, and there, there's a couple areas where um, even a word that's overused still, has, to still matters. For instance, saying please or thank you. You know, if you hold the door for 20 people going into a train station and one of them says thanks, Usually that's the person you are going to remember because they use that magic word. Or we teach our children when they want something, what's the magic word? Please. Now, they use it again and again and again. So every kid that says thank you to you when you're coaching, you might feel like, oh, it's just being set out of habit. They don't really mean it. But it still triggers something in your brain. It still triggers a thought process or maybe even triggers emotions. The flip side is, is if somebody's using love all the time with you and using it in a way that it just it loses its meaning, yeah, then that word loses meaning. And that's why we have synonyms. That's why we have such a rich vocabulary is so that we can learn different ways to express ourselves because they give a different depth of meaning. I always look at it like our lives and, and, the, and the words we use or the world we're in is a, is a line drawing. Now, what words we use are the ones that are going to add shadowing or color or depth or context to it. And that line drawing becomes this rich tapestry in which we live. And so the words are what shape that tapestry for us. Now, it would be wonderful. We're all wordsmiths. Um, and we talk about the synonym, synonyms there. How many words do you think you need to have available to you? Because it strikes me that not all of us are going to remember all the words all at the same time. True. And I don't think we need a whole lot. It's again, it's, it's, it's not just the words, but it's, it could be the delivery. So I may only use three or four words to convey one thought process, like love, uh, adore. Uh, but I'll use those words in different situations to change the context of what I'm trying to say, or I'll deliver it differently. You know, as Maya Angelou says, it's not what people say that you remember, but how you made them feel. She's right. And it goes a little bit deeper than that. She's right that it's how we make people feel. 
but it's also how we deliver those words within that context. For instance, if I'm talking to my wife and I jokingly go, I love you, that has not as much meaning to her. That's almost sarcastic joking, goofing off. But if I lean in really close to my wife and say, hey, I love you, what a difference that makes the way I delivered that. And she knows I mean it there. If we are with players, uh, people, what what are the sort of things which make us want to say lean in or maybe lean back from those sort of situations? What are the triggers which make that sort of thing more effective? What are the triggers? Uh, it might be the way I deliver it. Like I said, um, one of the best things I ever learned from a mentor teacher of mine was that you don't have to yell to get control of a classroom or a group of children. Sometimes it's whispering. Sometimes it's leaning in and saying something quietly because people want to hear what you have to say. So they'll slow down, they'll quiet down, they'll lean in to try to hear, what, what did he just say to me? So that's that's one way that I can alter that situation is it, it, you know how I deliver it. To make somebody lean out, there are offensive words in our vocabulary. There are words that should never be used to describe people. And, and they've caused wars. They've, they've caused you know major battles. There are certain words that make people really want to lean in. There's one word in particular that makes everybody engage almost immediately with you, and it's your name. It's the sweetest sound on the planet. And so servers know that their tips will increase if they share their name, but if they also learn the names of their, their customers and are able to use them in context. Salespeople, greatest trick in the world is to say things like, you know, Dan, this car gets really great mileage because now I've engaged you. I've said the word that really triggers your brain. Uh, negotiators, you, know, you can go on down the line. Everybody's taught that the ability to use somebody's name is one of the most powerful connectors on the planet. So we understand now that words of power. Now we're talking about power and performance. So how does a word make me perform better? Give me, can you give me some examples? I sure can. Uh, can't is a great word. If, if, if somebody says, um, I can't do this. They're shutting down their brain from even thinking about a possibility of what they could do. You know, uh, Carol Dweck talks about the power of yet. When a child says, I can't, you say, yet, but I'm going to work with you. We'll work together and we'll see if we can do this. I just saw a, an interview with David Goggin, who's a Navy SEAL, U.S. Navy SEAL, and he wrote a couple books, a motivational speaker, brilliant human being. And he's one of those people, he's pushed his body way beyond the limits. And so this person asked him, they said, what are, you, what are you saying to yourself in those moments when you're at mile 99 of a hundred mile race and your body's breaking down and you know things are just feel lost? And he said, what if? Which I immediately you know, loved because that's a word I use, that's a phrase I use in the book, but you know, what if I can make that hundred mile? He was told, for instance, that uh, there were only, I think it was only 35 African-American Navy SEALs that had ever become full Navy SEALs through BUDS. And he said, what if I'm number 36? And so his brain went to that possibility versus a word like can't shuts all that possibility down. However, if someone keeps saying can't, it's going to be hard to make them say can. How can we persuade them to get out of that can't or you always say yet? Yeah, I never, I know it never works. How, how can you sort of break that uh, negative mindset? Sure. We're humans are, are routine and pattern insistent. We like, we'll look for patterns in chaos. We always, we always want to put routines on things. We always want to organize the world around us, especially our brain. And so we have to disrupt that pattern sometimes and saying, I can't, and going into that victim mode or going into that failure mode is, is a pattern. And one of the easiest ways to disrupt the pattern is humor or is something off-putting something that they just didn't expect in that pattern. 
And so we got into saying can't in our family, can't was an acronym. It was, you know, if you said can't, it was all oh, challenge accepted, no take backs. And everybody giggles <laughs> when you say it, but it disrupts the pattern. And now they start to think, oh, oh, I've been challenged. And of course, nobody likes to be challenged. Just like in the Christmas story, when he triple dog dares him to stick his tongue on the pole, we can't avoid a dare. You know, we're, we want to be a part of that. So if somebody says, I can't, you say, oh, challenge accepted, no take backs. They now want to dive into that dare most people want to lean into that dare so obviously can't is a word which is negative uh in in the book uh you talk about power words uh can you give me examples of apart from yet which uh, some of us are familiar with from carol dweck and growth mindset uh you start um the first word on the list is go tell us a bit more about that so go was a power word for me growing up because I was uh, I was in swim team at a very young age. And I can remember summertime is that we get dropped off at the pool first thing in the morning. The sun had just come up and the water's freezing cold. None of us want to get into the pool. So our coaches to get us started would we'd all stand at the end of the uh, at the end of the blocks there at the end of the, the, the lane. And the coaches would say, go. And the next person would dive in, go. And the next person would dive in. And that go sort of became a trigger word for it's it's time for us to go to work. Uh, and so that's how go became a power word for me is because there were a bunch of physical things that I'd done over my career that started after the word go like a running race or, you know, my swim coach saying, get in the water, go. And because I'd, I'd accomplished things after that word go, it became a physical or a mental preparation word. It was a word that when I heard the word go, it was go time. It's time to, do, you know, you hear these things, so let's go. And, and, and people use that word as a power word to sort of urge or drive people into action. Okay. So go seems like a very positive and it's like uh, taking the first step on a, on a long journey. Another word in there is you have is will. Now, obviously um, will could uh, be a verb and a noun. So where is will fit into this? I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's what went through my head when you were first talking. So <laughs> Will is one of those words that it it takes what is vague or what we can't form into a complete thought or belief or dream, and it gives it a little bit more life. Like if you say, if somebody says, oh, I don't know, I mean, maybe I could, maybe I could run a hundred meters, you will run a hundred meters. You're giving them, uh, you're giving them positivity. You're giving them uh, certainty. Will is a word that creates certainty. So the example I use in the book is, is, is John F. Kennedy you know, telling an entire nation that we will put a man on the moon. He didn't say we might put a man on the moon. We'll try to put a man on the moon. No, he said, we will put a man on the moon. Now this was at a time where, you know, we, a a person walking on the moon was just, are you kidding? We just, we just began to fly. Not, not too long before this. (laughs) And now we're talking about putting somebody on the moon. That will's a strong word when it gets an entire nation to say, yeah, we can do this. Now, I sense some dangers there because uh, we will turn um, stone into gold. We will uh, find um, the solution to uh, climate change. Uh, we will, we will, we will. And and it, some of them are very, very long way off. And some of them don't even sound believable. So how do we make that that more realistic for the person in front of us? So the, again, it's, it comes with that action, right? So if I'm going to say, I, if we're going to say we will learn this trick together, then I better back up my words and work with that athlete to help them figure out that trick or that's that skill that I'm teaching them. Uh, I was working with a, a, a really young, like eight year old girl years back at a soccer camp and she couldn't juggle like the other kids. And she starts crying 
crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, well, so-and-so can get three and four and I can't even get one. And sure enough, she drops it, it hits her knee and it hits her in the face. And she says, I can't, I mean, oh, come on, I can't even do that. And I said, but you will, and I'll work with you. So we worked for like five or 10 minutes. So I, I followed through on my action and I stayed with her and I helped her. So same with John F. Kennedy. He said, we will. And then they funneled money into it and they hired the best minds and they, they put action plans in place and they set goals. And that's how they got there. Will's an empty promise without that action behind it and without that planning and goal setting. The other thing I did with her is I said, at the end of that, that training session, I said, I'll see you next week because it was once a week. And I said, I want you, I'm going to give you a, a, a task, some homework. Are you, are you interested in a challenge? And she said, yeah. And again, I used the word challenge, change it to challenge, not homework, right? And I, I told her, I said, I wanted her to practice as much as she could on her juggling in a week and see how many she could get and then come and tell me the next week. And she shows up the next week. I'd forgotten about it. Like it's a week later, you know, I'd forgotten about it. She comes running up. She goes, four, four, or whatever it was, five. I don't, you know, I don't remember the exact number. But I was like, what, what is she yelling at me for? And she goes, I juggled four times over the weekend. Like it was such a great thing for her. So we, I told her I will help her. I stayed with her and helped her. I gave her an action plan. I challenged her and I set a goal for her. And because that was all in place behind the word will, she went and learned how to juggle four times or whatever that number was when just a week prior, she, she could barely get it once. I like also the way you used, we will. So it is, uh, it's a journey together. It's not, um, off you go. Um, good luck. Um, it is is together now another word which uh you've, you've put in the book transformation words words that transfer people in moments is um for me quite an un, um a controversial word is the word unlucky so tell me a bit more about this and uh for those who can't see reed he's laughing as he says this i'm not sure if that's uh, a good laugh or an evil laugh tell me more I get teased all the time. I had a, I had a, an assistant coach. I had a co-coach actually for, for years, really good friend of mine. And he used to always say, I hate that word unlucky read, which there's another powerful word. hate." right. And he's like, I just, that word just, oh, it just grates. It does no good. You just, you throw that word out there and it just hangs out there. It's like, it's not good at all. And I said, well, it is if you use it in certain contexts or if it's, if it's, if it's a trigger for kids. So for me, unlucky was a word that told my kids to move on. If they made a mistake, I could, I had, I, I had one of two choices. I could scream at them and embarrass them in that moment and point out the mistake they made and shut down any chance at all for them trying it again. Right. Or, or I could take the moment and enrich them, encourage them and empower them to try it again. But in a game, you don't have that time to go, okay, it's okay, Johnny, you'll try it again. You'll get it next time. Keep trying. Don't worry. You know, don't quit all that. I don't have time. So unlucky became that word for my athletes. When they messed up, I just go, ah, unlucky, get it next time. And so they knew that for me, unlucky was a blow it out, get it out of your mind. It's over. There's nothing you can do without, with it, move on. Another way I use the word unlucky is it's one of those words like dude, you know, where if you use it with different context or different tones, it changes. Like, is there a guy in the closet with a knife? Dude, you know, or I'm really mad at you, dude. So unlucky was also that kind of word where if I changed the way I delivered it, I could change the context. If a referee made a bad call, my athletes were either going to hang on that call and use that call as an excuse to not perform as an underperformance excuse, right? Oh, well, the refs lost the game for us. Oh, the refs blowing the game, right? Or, or they could forget about it and move on because they cannot control the calls the ref makes. We can't control the weather. We can't control the calls the ref makes, right? So unlucky became that word that told them, don't argue with the referee, keep playing soccer. So the ref would make a bad call and I go, ah, unlucky. And what it told my athletes was, 
I saw the bad call. I acknowledged the bad call. There's nothing we can do about it. I'll advocate on your behalf. You have to keep playing soccer. The refs that knew me also knew that that was a you owe me one word. When a ref made a really bad call and I went, wow, that's unlucky. That ref knew that I was like, you owe me one because you messed that call up big time, man. And I, I'm not going to I'm not going to berate you for it, but you know me. And I actually had a ref who who refed me for years. He always seen me at the youth games. And when I would use that word unlucky, he would turn and look at me and go because <laughs> he knew I had him emotionally. I, I had him. I didn't yell at him. I just let him know, hey, you made a mistake. And I know that I'll come back around, though. You'll You'll fix it. <laughs> Very clever. I like that. So you used um, a couple of times in what you're talking about, uh, the word try. And uh, I've known other coaches before use this as a word, which is a which you call a peril word. So why is this uh, regarded as one which shuts down peak performance? You know, and it's it's a word that plagues me. Uh, I talk about it in the book. John Kessel gives me a hard time because every time I'm around him, I was last time I was with him, I was actually in the middle of a presentation and I used the word try. And John from the back of the room goes, ah, 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 there is no try <laughs> it, because it's such a dangerous word. Try is that peril word. It's a we'll see type of word like for, with my kids. Anytime that they ask to do something like we want to get ice cream and I'd say, oh, well, you know, we'll try after the, after practice. they knew that that was a I was putting off. It was an excuse. It was one of those opportunities for them to say, oh, well, I gave it my best. I tried. I may not have done it. Uh, friends invite you to a party and you say, oh, I'll try to make it. What you've done is you've made a you've made a semi commitment to them that you can now get out of. So try as a peril word because it tells our mind, well, we don't actually have to do it. We just have to fame that we've tried it, or we just have to try it. And that's, it's not a word that commits you to something, you know, instead will is a word that commits you. If you tell an athlete, Hey, when, when you go back on the field, you will try that. You will do this activity. Or if a, if a kid says, Oh, Hey, when you're back out there, I really want you to think about getting wider on the field. Oh, I'll try coach. No, no, you won't try. Go ahead and do it. See what happens. So it, you got to re-race that parallel because it gives people an excuse to underperform. So what I like about this is that each, each word uh you use it but everyone understands or you build an understanding around why the word is used then and then you can move quickly to the next stage of uh, enhancing performance or changing the way that someone approaches the performance yes we have a limited time with our athletes we have a limited time with people in a performance setting in general nuclear power plant uh you know airline cockpit emergency room limited amount of time and we have to convey a lot of information in a short amount of time under call right so we have to reduce the number of words we use and they tell coaches get in say what you need to say get out don't have them standing there for two days while you're talking to them right no laps no lines no lectures as as you know coaches like to say so we have to start to get to a point where we create scripts with our athletes where we create where they know that certain words we use are scripted words like unlucky so that we can convey so much more with saying less. And then we have to be very careful as coaches. I used to do this. I used to actually not just write out my training plan and my objectives and all that, but what words I was going to use because I knew that I only had a short period of time to talk to my athletes. So I had to use words that really conveyed deep meaning in those moments. So that's where it's, you know, cutting down on our words and creating these scripts with athletes can make a big difference with them. Okay, so we've used the fewest number of words in the least amount of time to convey what's in a very, uh, very detailed book. So we're going to finish there. So uh, Coach Reed has two master's degrees in sports psychology and early childhood development and 30 years. You wouldn't know to look at him of professional coaching experience. 
His philosophy is human performance is a distinctly individual phenomenon based on the skills, tactics, values and beliefs of each person. And our role as coaches, leaders is to help create the environments and provide the tools people need to raise and chase their own excellence. I'm a f- I also firmly believe uh, excellence can be achieved every day. And I'm most passionate about finding how language, learning and leadership can impact a person's ability to achieve everyday excellence. So uh, you can contact him at coachread, that's R-E-E-D.com. And to find out about more about the book, which comes out in April, but you can pre-order it now, you can go to fullspartan.com. So we're going to finish with a few quick fire questions. So number one question, Reed, how old are you? Ah, 49. I started 49. coaching when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. Uh, what coaching book is by your bedside? It might not be coaching, of course. Oh, that's a good question. Right now, it's not a coaching book. It's a book called um, Performance Driven Giving. And it's actually my publisher sent it to me. And it's, mm. it's a, I loved it because he talks about performance dri- driven, give, I, the I, concept of performance driving for me is a good one. Uh, which coach teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, my goodness. Which coach teacher am I loving at the moment? Uh, I, I, I probably would have to go back to John Wooden. Uh, I know he's not around, but I should say Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr, because Kerr does, does and says a lot of the things that I would, if I were working with my athletes. Yeah. And I must say that rugby coach weekly does feature a lot of Steve Kerr quotes, uh, which team sports subject would you love to be coaching at the moment? Oh man. <laughs> um, I'm right now working with the intercollegiate sailing association. I'm the executive director and Right now, that's a fascinating sport to me, the sport of sailing, because I know nothing about it. And so I'd love to continue to, to grow my my skill set of coaching in that realm. Um, you might have answered this already, but who has inspired you most? Who has inspired me most? Oh, my goodness. It's all over the board there. But I probably say for the book, Carol Dweck, her work on mindset. In, and I know it's controversial because some people say, well, it can't be replicated, but it's undeniable it exists in people and that we can create core processes and people but based on what we say we can shape how they think so she she helps shape a lot of the concepts in this book i would say yeah and i think it would be fair to say that uh, some of her work has been taken out of context as well so uh, and she's she's had to spend quite a lot of time almost re-explaining it as well uh what would you tell your 20 year old self to do more of Take risks. I didn't take enough risks. Uh, you know, be daring. Stop saying try and can't and start saying more of will and what if. Uh, that's what I tell my 20-year-old self. All right. I, I wonder if uh, your 20-year-old self would have spent a few seconds thinking about the answer as well. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's so that's interesting in itself. Reed, really enjoyed that. Um uh, I, I recommend people uh, pre-order the book. Um, I've learned a lot from it, but just listening to you there has made me want to uh, dig deeper back into it and find out a bit more about, well, a lot more about those words. So brilliant. Really enjoyed that. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.